Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. Let me give you the definition for trust. Because trust is a powerful thing. It's a firm belief in the reliability, the truth, the ability, the strength of someone or something. An utter confidence, sureness, and certainty we give to those who have proven themselves to us. That's the definition of trust. Let me ask you a question. I might actually ask you several. These are rhetorical. You can answer amen if you want to. Has God ever shown his ability to be enough? Has God ever shown his ability to be reliable? Has God ever shown his, his strength to be able to be counted upon? Yes. Can we take confidence? Can we be sure? Can we be certain based on what he's already done? That he will continue to do. Yes. And then by definition, because of those things, we have the right as believers to say, nevertheless, I will trust him. He, we trust him because he is reliable. He does what he says he will do. Habakkuk 2.3 says, for the vision. You know what a vision is? Vision is just something that God told you to do. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. God's reliable. If he told you something's going to happen, you could take that to the bank. It's going to happen. We have the ability to trust him and should trust him because he's worthy of our trust because he has proven himself faithful. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says it as plainly as simply as I could possibly say it. Here it is. God is faithful. It's pretty simple, right? Probably doesn't lead a lot of explanation, although Paul goes and says why we can trust that faithfulness. He says, by whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful and you can trust his faithfulness because he called you to himself by sacrificing his own son so that you would be available. So he would be could be available to you. Woo. And because of that, he's proven himself faithful. He's worthy of our trust because he is unshakable ability and strength. Isaiah 43, 13 says, even from eternity, I am he. I love that. You know why I love that? Because God never tried to prove himself to us. He made a declaration that I am. First verse of scripture in all of scripture. In the beginning, what? God. God didn't try to sell himself to you he didn't try to convince you that he's real people say prove to me your god exists why would i try to prove to you my god exists when god didn't try to prove to me that he existed he just declared that he does exist and i walked that out in faith because without faith it's impossible to please him amen some things you can't explain but that's kind of beside the point i'm just excited that god doesn't even try to explain himself he just is and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act and who can reverse it. He has the ability and strength to act and no one has the ability or strength 
to stop that action once he set it into motion. It doesn't matter what you got going on in your life. It doesn't matter what fear you're dealing with. It doesn't matter what bill you have. It doesn't matter what situation your marriage is in. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. Addiction, depression, oppression. Jesus Christ is bigger than your problem. We can trust the reliability, the strength, the ability of God because he has proven himself to be trustworthy. Amen? And so that's what I want to talk about today. Why we have the right to say, nevertheless, I will trust him. And I'm going to do that out of Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to teach essentially from the whole chapter of 3, but it's quite a long chapter, so I'm not going to read it. I'm going to paraphrase a portion of it just, just to get you up to speed. In verse 3, or chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon at the time, decided that he was going to make a, an idol, and he's going to make it out of gold, and he makes it really super big. It says, it doesn't actually say super big, but it says 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. So I'm one cubit, plus 60 cubits is probably a lot of cubits. <laughs> I just like, But it's really big, all right? It's an, it's an idol that you should be able to see from just about anywhere in the city. And this is what he says. He says, listen. When you hear music, you're going to bow down to this idol and worship this idol. Then the herald loudly proclaimed in verse 4, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the... I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm not sure even what that is. Basaltry, bagpipe, and all kinds of music. You are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And so here we are. He set up an idol. He's told them that when the music starts, they better start worshiping. And if they don't start worshiping, He's going to kill them by putting them in a fiery furnace, by setting them on fire. There's been a couple ways that I thought I wouldn't want to die. Setting on fire is at the top of my list. But here comes these three young men. And they have something to say. And I want to talk, I'm going to give four principles out of this chapter today. There are many more, but there's four that I think are relevant to this time. In regard to nevertheless, point number one, nevertheless, because we trust him, we will not live in fear. This is a declaration we are making. We should be making as believers. Nevertheless, because we trust him, we will not live in fear. Verses 13 through 15 read like this. Then Nebuchadnezzar enraged, so they didn't bow down. It happened. They didn't fall down in worship. Then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and anger gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, he said, I'm going to give you a second chance. At the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image I have made very well. 
You're going to be good to go. I'm going to leave you alone. We're going to act like this never happened. But if you do not worship, you will be immediately cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God and what God is there who can deliver you out of my hand? Why would he say such a thing? Because he expected that out of fear they would submit. The king expected that even the faithful would be fearful enough to bow down. And it's a reasonable expectation. Let me tell you why it's a reasonable expectation. Because the whole nation of Israel was exiled to Babylon at this time. Have you ever thought that he only called out three people? Out of all the nation of Israel, it had to be only these three people that refused to bow down. And it made him mad. He said, why? He's wondering, why don't you three fear me? There's a reason that they don't fear him. They don't fear him because we don't live with a spirit of fear. Amen? They understood the truth that John wrote about long before John wrote about it in 1225. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. My pastor and I were talking not very long ago and we were talking about this situation, the environment and what's going on with the corona and all the different stuff in the economy and I told him I, I asked him I said what do you think I should do because I, I I believe in seeking wise counsel amen he says I don't care what you do he said shut your church down go to live stream meet together in public that's up to you but let me tell you something you're a pastor doesn't matter what you what your church does you have to touch people you have to go to people you have to love people. You have to meet the needs of people. You have to pray with people. So I don't care what you do, but if you're not putting your hands on people, you're not the pastor that you should be. See, pastor understood something that many of us needs to understand. That we're not to fear death so much that we shrink back away from our faith to protect it. Because at the end of the day, this life is going to be over at some point and much quicker than you think. I love Hebrews because like these four men we have to make a decision to trust God we have to trust the fact that he is bigger that our eternity is bigger I like Hebrews chapter 11 if you're not familiar with Hebrews chapter 11 if you ever want your faith built go to Hebrews chapter 11 it's called literally the faith chapter by most folks it talks about all the people throughout Israeli history, Israel's history that stood in faith when everything seemed to be going on weird around them and crazy around them. I love, love, love Hebrews eleven thirty six through 12. It says, and others. And so he names off all these people, but he says, and still there's others experienced mockings, scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. I'm reading slowly because I want you to understand that the suffering that you're going through ain't the only suffering the Christian population's ever gone through. They were tempted. They were put to 
death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised in this life, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us they would not, they would not be made perfect. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Why can I know that I don't have to walk in fear? Because I'm not shrinking back from death because I'm scared of it. Because there are plenty of people that went before me that never saw their promise in the flesh, but they're in their promise right now. And they were in their promise right now because they didn't allow themselves to get tangled up with all the stuff the world had going on. Instead, they kept their focus where their focus should be, which is on Jesus. Can I tell you, if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you're not going to see anything else because Jesus is bigger than everything else. How do I get over this problem? Look at Jesus. What do we do about COVID-19? Look at Jesus. What do I do about losing my job? Look at Jesus. What do I do about divorce? Look at Jesus. What do I do about this? Addiction, whatever. What? It doesn't matter. Keep your focus on Jesus because Jesus was focused. Our responsibility is to be like Jesus. One of my favorite verses, many of you know, is Luke 9.51. It says, when the days were approaching for his ascension, which means he was going up to heaven, when it's time for him to leave, which means that he had to pass through the cross to get there, he set his face towards Jerusalem. It depends on which Bible you look at, which translation. Some of them said he set his face resolutely. Some say that he set his face as flint. Regardless of how you read it, let me tell you, he was determined to do what he was called to do. It didn't matter that it was going to hurt. It didn't matter that it was going to cause some suffering. He was willing to do it because he knew what he was called to do. He knew who he was called to be. We have to get to a place where we know who we are and know what we are called to so that instead of what's going on around us peripherally, we keep our eyes on Jesus. Because Jesus is bigger. Our promise is bigger. Our eternity is bigger. And we keep our eyes on Jesus for the same reason that Jesus endured the cross, for the hope that is set before us, according to Romans or correction, Hebrews 11, 12, 2. There's a hope set before us. And because of that, I will not fear. Last week we talked about how we've been given a spirit of fear, but we didn't actually talk about the commands to not fear. Did you know you're commanded to not fear? We just sang a song that said, Jesus or Spirit lead me. I'm going to let go of the things you tell me to let go of. I'm going to jump into the things you tell me to jump into. I'm going to believe you for what you say. I don't know all the words. My boy here does. But the point is, let the Spirit lead you. And let me tell you what the Spirit's going to lead you to do. The Spirit's going to lead you to obey the Word of God. And the Word of God commands you, do not fear. If you didn't have any other reason to not fear... Perhaps the fact that God told you to is enough. Or God told you not to, as it were, is enough for you not to. The problem is when we do fear, 
it steals us of our joy and peace. It causes us to settle for less than what God has for us. It weakens our trust in him. But God has told us different. Isaiah 43, 1. But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he formed you, O Israel, do not fear. But he didn't stop there. He gave you reasons why you shouldn't fear. He said, for I redeemed you. Do not fear because I bought you, because you belong to me. I have called you by name. I do not fear because he redeemed me. I do not fear because he knows me intimately. And I do not fear because he, he ends this verse with, you are mine. Man, I want you to sit in the beauty of that. Those three words for a moment. God says, do not fear. You are mine. The all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, omnipresent God of the universe that never changes his love for you makes you a promise. He has redeemed you. He's intimately familiar with you. And you belong to him. I told a story Wednesday, an illustration on Wednesday. I'm going to tell it again today just because it, it fits so well. If you weren't here, if you were, you're going to get blessed twice. You are mine. Powerful words. I have two daughters, as many of you know, or maybe you don't know. 24 and 20. A 24-year-old, from the time she was born, has always been kind of foo-foo, blonde hair, blue eyes, wanted to make her makeup off all the time. I mean, she... She would get little makeup kits for Christmas and do her hair and do all this stuff. She was, had to have her nails did and all that, right? From the time we can remember, she, she wanted to go to the nail salon and make us pay 50 bucks to get her nails did. It didn't happen, but that's what she wanted. My 20-year-old was completely different. She was straight buck wild all the time. She was independent frustratingly independent she wasn't scared of anything and she would she just do what she wanted to do even when she knew there was consequences she'd be like you know i'm just gonna deal with the consequences i'm gonna do what i want to do this is how she used to be my oldest daughter came in the house one day we used to live in a cul-de-sac when the girls were real small the oldest daughter came and all the neighborhood kids would play in the cul-de-sac and my neighborhood daughter, or my daughter came in, my oldest daughter came in, she was crying. She was very sensitive, still is, I guess, or was the last time I talked to her. And Madison comes and says, what, what you crying for? All dirt on her face and hair messed up, you know. What you crying for? And a little boy in a cul-de-sac called her fat. I think it was chubby or something. And Madison, was my youngest, was incensed by this. She goes, he did what? And he chases, she chases this kid out in a cul-de-sac trying to beat him up. It's a boy like four or five years older than her. But she was going to beat him. And if, had, she, had he not run into the house because he was scared of her, which was a reasonable response because the kid was crazy, she would have beat him up. I tell you all that to say my kid wasn't scared of anything. When she was two years old, I was in her room. We were cleaning it. We were cleaning it. I was cleaning it. She was on the second bunk at the top bunk and she was playing she was just kind of doing her thing and I wasn't paying much attention I was just picking up their stuff and 
as I'm picking up her stuff, I hear her say, Hey, Daddy. And I turn around. And I got toys in my hand. And I look. And I'm on the other side of the room. The room's not very big. But I see her launch herself off of her, off of her bed, the top bunk of her bed. Of course, I dropped the, whatever I had in my hand. I dived, dove to try to catch her. Did catch her. Pulled her into my chest. I ended up on my back out of breath. Her on top of me, giggling, laughing like that was the greatest thing on earth. And I asked her, I said, why did you do that? Because I was, I was, you ever get so scared about your kids, you get mad at them for a second? I said, why'd you do that? She goes, I, she said, you could have been hurt. She said, because you're my daddy. Because she is mine. She took the risk. And said, nevertheless, I will trust you because she was mine. How imperfect is my love compared to the perfect love of God? When he says, you are mine, he's going to catch you. Just trust him enough to jump. Amen? Not only is this a command, there's so many other commands. Isaiah 41, 13, for I am the Lord your God who upholds you. It says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Romans 8, 15, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. There we see this intimacy again. Don't fear. You have the right to intimacy. You belong to me. Now, I want to be transparent with you for a moment. I still get, I still get scared. I believe the word of God is true. I will sit here and tell you I will die declaring this truth to whoever will listen. But at the same time, I'm the guy that says, God, I have faith. Will you help me with my faith? Because you look around and you still see what's happening. I don't want to shine you on and say, you're a Christian, you should never deal with fear. What I'm asking you to do is approach your fear rightly with an understanding that God is bigger than your fear. To approach God like David approached God in Psalms 56.3. He said, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. David, the mighty warrior king, priest, prophet, David, didn't say, I'm not afraid. He said, when I'm afraid, I'll put my trust in you. Because courage is, by definition, action in the face of fear. So it's okay to fear. It's not okay to not trust in your fear, to trust in God through your fear. Everybody understand what I'm saying? God is big enough to catch you. Just jump. God will catch you. Just jump. You belong to him. I can't imagine any of you that are parents allowing unnecessary harm to come to your kids. And for some reason, we think God is willing to do that to us. It doesn't make any sense. Number two. Nevertheless, because we trust him, we will make our declaration. Verses 16 through 18 says this. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. Remember, he had just told them. He said, listen, I'm going to give you one more shot. And if you do what I tell you, we're going to act like this never happened. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, probably still young men at this time, looked at the king and replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give an, you an answer concerning this matter. That sets... That's fortitude. You look at the king and say, I don't even know why you're talking to us about this. It's essentially what they're saying. We're not even, we're not going to give you, we're not even going to, we're not even going to offer an answer to this ridiculous thing you just said to us. Because if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But this is their nevertheless moment. Nevertheless, even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And so they say, our God will save us. Nevertheless, even if he doesn't, we're not serving you. We're not worshiping you or the idol that you've set up because we trust the God that we serve. Amen? This is the declaration that people of trust make. It doesn't matter what the news said. Nevertheless, I'm going to serve God. It doesn't matter what the economy says. Nevertheless, I'm going to serve God. It doesn't matter if my family or my life is in shambles. Nevertheless, I'm going to serve God. Because when we keep our eyes focused on Jesus and be resolute as Jesus was resolute, then we can count on one thing, that God can be trusted. He is bigger than our problem. I'm not trying to throw Christian platitudes at you to make you feel good. I'm not trying to preach for the Twitter or make bumper stickers. I'm trying to tell you that when you have a problem, tell your problem about your God. Because God is bigger than your problem. Most of us want to tell our... God about our problem well God I appreciate that but you don't understand what I'm going through you need to wash that like I want to run to your house and put a bar of soap in your mouth and wash out your mouth when people say stuff like that can I tell you the God that created the universe there's no big problem for God I can get into that I'm not going to it's, it's but it's important. Amen? So they made two statements here. First, they trusted in God's deliverance. Verse 17, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. They trusted the God that they served because they knew the God that they served. Did you guys hear that? They trusted the God that they served because they knew the God that they served. How did they know the God that they served? Because they read their scripture. They read the Old Testament passages. They heard the testimonies of, about Abraham and Moses and Isaac and Joshua and Joseph. They heard about the King David and how he slayed the giant. All of these things happened before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And let me tell you, God's not a respecter of persons. And if he did it for them, he'll do it for you. And so they're able to say, nevertheless, I will trust him based on the stuff that he had previously done for the people before them. 
We could learn a little something from that. Not only will we be saved by our testimony, but it's quite possible that someone else may be too. You're sitting in your cubicle at work and you just beat cancer. Or God just put your marriage back together. But the person three feet away from you is dealing with cancer or is going through a divorce. And they need hope. And you've got their hope shut up in your mouth. They trusted God because they knew God. We have to be the purveyor of hope to the people around us too. So that they might know that they too can trust God. I praise God for every trial because God sees me through every trial. I had a guy tell me not very long ago, he said, he said, every time I come to you with a problem, man, it seems like you dealt with that problem. I was like, yeah, God prepared me good for ministry. <laughs> but you know what? In that, they find hope. Because a sinner, the chief of sinners like me, Jesus Christ died. But didn't only die so that I might have eternal life. Died and gave me a mission. Gave me a ministry. I'm the modern-day demoniac. Chained to a wall, set free. Tried to climb in a boat with Jesus. I'm going with you. Jesus said, no, you're not. I'm going to give you a ministry instead. I want you to go to the ten cities around here and tell everybody about what happened to you. It's time we start telling everybody what happened to us. Secondly, they trusted that God's deliverance was not immediate. Or may not be immediate. Verse 18 says, But even if he does not, this their nevertheless statement, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The truth is that God doesn't promise that we're going to be without persecution, trial, or tribulation. Or even death. You know what he does promise? That our eternity is set. And because of that, I trust him. What have I got to lose? To live is Christ. To die is gain. It doesn't matter what I go through. It really, I want you to listen to me. It doesn't really matter. In the great scheme of things, your life is but a vapor anyway. And when you die, and you will at some point if Jesus doesn't come back first, you, your eternity is set. I love that. Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16 says this. All these died in faith without receiving the promise. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of their country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. Listen to this. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I'm not scared of the furnace because I trust God. And whether I trust God 
in this flesh or when this perishable puts on the imperishable? I say this. God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. Do you trust that to be true? God has prepared a better country for us. Number three, nevertheless, we trust him because we will be saved. Verse 19 through 27. And I know it's long, but I'm going to read the whole thing. Because I want you to listen to the magnitude at which they were saved. When Nebuchadnezzar, filled with wrath, was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because essentially they just spit in his own face. They didn't, but, I mean, he, they, he was highly insulted. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in this, his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. He wanted them tied up so that there was not even a chance that they would escape. For this reason, because the king's commander's was, command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Verse 24, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood in his haste. He said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, Certainly, O king. He said, look, that's so good. I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. It wasn't the son of the God, it was the son of God. And he was walking with them. Let me tell you, in the midst of your fire, when your whole world is upside down, it isn't some altar that you've set up it isn't some idol you've placed in your life that's going to walk beside you it's jesus christ by the power of his holy spirit that's going to walk beside you, you then nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire he responded and said shadrach meshach and abednego come out you servants of the most high god and come here boy his his mouth got changed didn't it then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on their bodies for these men of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. I want you to think about that for a minute. The furnace that was intended, designed to kill people, was heated seven times hotter than necessary to kill people. And they, their trousers weren't burned, their hair wasn't singed, and they didn't even smell like smoke. Let me tell you, I cooked hamburgers yesterday. I smelled like smoke for three hours. But that's how God completely saves those that stand on who he is. That is why he can be trusted. Amen? That is... That is the God that we serve. He will not leave you in the fire alone. He is in your circumstance too. But I want you to pay attention to something. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
Somebody did die. Several somebodies did die. You know who died? Only those who put their trust in the heat were consumed by the fire. What are you putting your trust in? We put our trust in God. We say, nevertheless, I will trust him. May our faith never be on our circumstance. May it always be in our position. And let me tell you, when we do that, when we stand boldly as these young men stood, there's another reason why we can trust. Because not only will we be saved, others around us will be saved too. Do you know people watch you? I think the most dangerous thing in the world and the most blessed thing is to tell somebody you're a Christian. You know why? Because they're going to believe you. Whether you act like a Christian or don't, they're going to judge what a Christian looks like and by proxy what the image of God should look like based on how you act. And if they see you falter in the face of danger, when you've been spending years talking to them about how you're going to stand on the faithfulness of God, and the first time you're tested, you don't, they're going to think you a liar. Or worse yet, they're going to believe you and believe that God's not capable of saving you. And why would they want what you have? The king made a, a statement. He said, Blessed be the Most High King of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He doesn't mean blessed like, like somehow they're going to bless him. If you look up the word in the Hebrew, it means praise. He's saying his, his, well, his whole theology changed. He went from, you're going to worship this idol, to every person will praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you don't, you will be destroyed. So let me ask you, how are you living your life? Are you living your life in such a way that you will be saved based on your confession? That others may be saved based on their confession? But I want to end with the verse that I gave you out of Psalms from David. Even when I am afraid, I will trust him. Are you afraid? Because you don't have to be. You have reason to praise. You've been equipped with the spirit of power. And you have a God worthy of your trust. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in him. And that's my prayer for you. That when you're afraid, you'll put your trust in him. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that you love us, that you can be trusted that you are worthy of our trust, that you've shown yourself throughout the millennial to be trustworthy. God, that we can count on you to save us the same way you saved so many before us. That all the promises that we always declare here are absolutely true. That you are a God that loves his people. That you have given us your spirit. That you are our strong tower. God, that because of salvation, we have the confidence to come boldly into your throne room expecting to receive mercy. 
God, I declare all of these things over every person in this room. Let us have a confidence like we've never had by the power of your Holy Spirit to say, nevertheless, I will praise you. Nevertheless, I will count on the fact that I am equipped. Nevertheless, I will trust you. God, I pray a special blessing of protection over every house represented in this congregation. For those here and those not here, I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over their home, over their life, that no enemy shall come against them and prosper, that no disease or sickness will come against them and prosper. God, I declare in Jesus' name that you hold them, that you watch after them, and that you will place a hedge of protection around them to include their, the mother, the father, the children in that house, the grandparents in that house, regardless. God, we praise and declare health and wholeness in the name of your son, Jesus. We thank you, Heavenly Father, because we don't speak these things foolishly. We speak them confidently. And so we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.